In today's episode of Men's Bible Study, Pastor John Mark Caton continues the series, Summertime Blockbusters. John Mark teaches on John 3.16, as well as other verses about the gift God gave us through Jesus Christ. Now let's hear from Pastor John Mark. Good seeing you guys today. Uh, we have been in a series uh, entitled Blockbuster Passages, really looking at some of the, uh, the major passages. We looked at one last week that I believe is probably the most misused passage that when people quote it, I'm not against, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, but we understood from the context, it really means I can endure all things. In other words, it's not just the Super Bowl winner that can claim uh, Philippians 4.13, it's also the Super Bowl loser. Uh, that doesn't get to go to, uh, to Disney World that can claim that verse as well because context uh, is, uh, is that you and I as children of God uh, can ultimately endure good times, bad times, seasons of plenty and seasons of little. Uh, today we're going to go to one that my guess is many of you know by heart, John 3.16. How many of you ever heard of that verse, John 3.16? How many of you think you can at least quote most of it? right? Uh, most of us can, and so as we look at it today, I want to bring a unique perspective, but at the same time, it's not going to be totally unique because a lot of us know of it. Let me ask you a question. What's the greatest gift? Y'all just shout it out quickly, uh, not a long story. What's the greatest gift you remember ever receiving? The greatest gift you ever remember receiving? Do, do some just jump off, uh, jump out of your mind? A G.I. Joe. I'm, a, I'm assuming, was that last Christmas or two Christmases ago? Okay, all right. Remember, uh, somebody else have another one. 60 Lark Studebaker for my 16th birthday. 60 Lark Studebaker for your 16th birthday. Ah, Joe grew up with a silver spoon in his mouth. So, all right, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Uh, uh, present. Anybody else? Something like that. Something you remember. I, you know what? In today's value, it's it, it probably not going to seem like much, but in that day, like the GI Joe, it was the best gift ever, right? What? NASCAR driving NASCAR car drive. Where you actually drove the car? Did you wreck the car? Oh, congratulations. All right. Now, I've wanted to do that. That sounds fun. What, do you, what else you got? Okay, the, the greatest day was when you got a tailor-made driver where you can move the screws around and it has totally straightened your drive out. <laughs> Completely fixed it. How long ago did you get that driver? Do you still use that driver? Yeah, yeah, that's, 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 that's like, uh, I, I was watching something on TV the other day and it was about uh, it was some British uh, former professional golfer that they were talking about the technology today and the whole golf golf show was about, hey, technology's coming a long way in golf. And they took this pro out and got him one of these $70 half sets like you would get your kid, that they have like a five iron and a nine iron and a pitching wedge and a driver and it had, it had a hybrid. That's all they had. $70 is what they paid for it. Anybody see this? Uh, and uh, the guy shot, he said, we want to see you shoot nine holes. And he shot one under through nine holes. And that's all he had. And he was talking about, you know, typically here I would use a lob wedge, but my option is pitching wedge, pitching wedge, pitching wedge. Uh, or my option is this. And he shot one under. And the point of the show was, hey, listen, 
Uh, I think the real point of the show, it was, uh, it was a show done by a golf coach. Uh, they would rather you spend money on learning to swing the golf clubs than spend money uh, enriching uh, the golf club company. So can someone else think, all right, so that's gifts we've given. G.I. Joe, uh, a Studebaker, uh, a, a NASCAR driving experience, uh, a tailor-made driver that is no longer used. My guess is none of y'all use what you were given. You probably can't find that G.I. Joe. All right, all right, reverse it. What's the greatest gift you've ever given that you are most proud of yourself for giving that gift? Somebody tell me. Mission trip experience for your kids. They're way to lead with something spiritual, Keith. You just run the whole day. So, no, that's awesome. All of your kids, did they go same mission trip? No, three different trips to Africa. Okay, three different trips to Africa. Love it. Good, good. Somebody else, one of the greatest gifts that you, you're like, man, I nailed this one. Okay. Is it one of those open planes where you say, oh, okay. All right. Bought his wife a, a, a flight in a biplane with the leather helmet and everything. And did they turn her over and dump her out? <laughs> Kept trying. Did, was, she, was she appreciative of that gift? It was a bucket list thing. All right, good. Somebody else, another gift that... Uh, uh, that you can think, I nailed this one. Those are definitely two. A mission trip, a biplane experience with a leather helmet and everything. Did they have a dog fight? Did they have a dog? That'd have been fun if they had a dog fight. Uh, anybody else? You can't think of anything. Way to go, guys. Y'all can't think of one thing that you put a lot of energy or effort into. Uh, oh, wait, oh, wait. You gave that tailor made driver away to your wife. Okay, your son just attended Promise Keepers, one of the best gifts. You know, I actually Googled a number of articles last night on the best gifts ever given. It was kind of interesting. Uh, some of these, I, I didn't even think about this, but really in the top five on all of these lists, and it was by price range. Anybody know what the most, the best, and the most expensive gift ever given to anyone was? Wasn't Bezos' wife divorce decree? Uh, uh, the 18 year old just going on that flight this morning, his dad paid $26 million. That, it was, that was not on the list, but I'm not saying that won't end up on the list. The Taj Mahal, the Taj Mahal was the most expensive gift given by a man to his wife. Uh, and I guess I knew the history of the Taj Mahal, but it wasn't until I was reading the article that that was built for a man's wife to express his love to her, and it is still to this day. Now, in, those, in, in that day, there's probably more expensive gifts given, but in the days it was back in the 1970s or whatever, it like, took like 22 years to make. It was made for his wife, and it was something somewhat amazing. Another one that made the list that I, some of you might remember this, Elizabeth Taylor was given a diamond. 
the Hope Diamond for her 40th birthday that was worth some amazing amount. That, that made most of the list because everybody was trying to equate it into today's dollars or those dollars or whatever. Uh, another one that was interesting is uh, King Abdullah gave Obama an unspecified gift of gift, number of gifts of gold, precious jewels, and everybody assumes it was worth a ton. That made several of the list. But, you know, as we think about gifts we've given, gifts we've received, when we come to John chapter 3, verse 16, there is no doubt that this is the verse where we see the greatest gift, the most valuable gift that has ever been given. And it's also kind of interesting, as we think about some of the gifts we have, we can't find the G.I. Joe. We uh, don't even use the tailor-made driver. The NASCAR experience is over. And we can think of many other gifts that we thought, this is the best gift I will ever, ever receive. And before you know it, it's in your garage sale or it's down there at Goodwill. That's the way gifts are. This gift that is found in John chapter 3, verse 16, is a gift that gave, is continuing to give, and will always give. Notice what it says, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever, whoever believes in Him, shall not perish, but would have everlasting life. Let me tell you what, 2,000 years ago, this was the greatest gift that was ever given today. This was the greatest gift that was ever given. 2,000 years from now, if Christ hasn't returned, this will still be the greatest gift that was ever given. It was the gift of God's own Son for the salvation of mankind. Now, as we break this passage down today, I'm going I'm to go a number of different places, and I want to encourage you, if you're just taking notes, hang on, Justin's going to put the notes up there. But the first thought I see when we come to John chapter 3, verse 16 is this. Man, this is the greatest love that the world has ever known. This is the greatest love that the world has ever known. And what love is that? Uh, it's not a man's love for a woman or a woman's love for a man. It's not a country western song. It is God's love for mankind. Notice how this verse starts. For God. That's where this verse starts. Man, it, it, the, the idea of giving the greatest gift that was ever given or will ever be given it started in the mind, in the will, in the heart of God. It was His idea. It was His call. It was His desire for God. He is, in fact, the greatest giver. The same God, think about it, who we don't know how long ago it was, the same God that spoke the world into existence decided He wanted to give you and me a gift today of salvation. The same God who created Adam and Eve and said everything that was created was good, and He created Adam and Eve, put them in a place of perfection, and said, enjoy life, enjoy each other, enjoy relationship with each other, enjoy marriage, leave and cleave to each other, enjoy it all. But don't eat off this one tree. Just gave them that one rule. And they broke the rule, they sinned. That same God still desired to give you and me and all of humanity, all sinful humanity, the greatest gift that could ever be given. The God who spoke the world into existence, the God that created uh, Eden, the God that, God that ultimately was sinned again. It was that God who, after Adam and Eve sinned, began to walk through the garden because He so de desired a relationship with the people that He created. 
and they hid. Remember that? And we still hide today. But God said, where are y'all? Remember Adam's response? We hid because we realized we were naked and we're afraid. We hid. And God was always pursuing a relationship with people. God's still pursuing a relationship with you and me today. Man, some of you guys that, that, that you've, been, uh, uh, you've been thinking about, thinking about, thinking about accepting Christ as your Savior and Lord, I want you to know God is still asking today, where are you? Why haven't you come to a simple space and place in life where by faith you trust my Son as Savior and Lord? That is still what God asks today. Where are you if you've trusted Christ as Savior and Lord? God is still saying, where are you? Are you in a place where you've just stepped over the line of salvation, but you're not going to give God anymore? You're going to show up from time to time. On Sunday morning, when God looks around in this church and other church, does God still today say, where are my people? And he finds them oftentimes in places that they shouldn't be instead of places they should be. Man, I love this idea that the greatest gift that was ever given was ultimately given because the heart and mind of God for humanity. God continuing to say, where are you? And for every person that is lost in their sin, God's second question is why? Why are you still lost in your sin? Why are you still headed for hell? Why are you still out of a relationship with me? I've done everything, God says. I've paid the ultimate price for you and me. And so as we think about it, man, the greatest love the world will ever know. Man, we, are, we have become so immune to great love stories in our culture that end in tragic divorce. How many of you know what we talk about? It's just like one rich person after another, one billionaire after another, one Hollywood star after another, uh, one uh, person in the royal family after another. I mean, it's just like it's all over the news, right? The divorces are so public, but so were the beautiful weddings. I mean, you would think by now that there would be a rule for some people in cer certain spaces. You would think by now that at some point, all they would say is, hey, just everybody go to the JP. Wouldn't you think that? I mean, because we know how this thing's going to end. That is a sad thing. Man, but God continues to say, man, y'all need to understand that I have given you the best and greatest love you could ever know for God. But notice it doesn't stop there. For God so loved. What an incredible motive. For God so loved. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, here's what it is. He says, but God demonstrates His own love for us in this. How did God demonstrate His love for us? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is an unconditional love. God didn't say, hey, John Mark, when you straighten it up a little bit or, or, or when, you, when, you, when you get things together a little bit or when you shake off this secret sin or, or, or when you get rid of this addiction or get rid of this habit or, you know, if, if you'll be a little better, then I'll start to love you. I, I love that. It says God demonstrated his love for you and me in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Guys, in those moments and seasons, perhaps when you have failed again, when you have lost your battle with temptation again, when you have slipped back off into some secret addiction again, can I remind you that God demonstrated His love for you while you were still a sinner, while I was still a sinner? How many of us can praise God that God didn't wait until we shaped it up before He demonstrated His love for us? Man, but we live in a world of conditional love. As long as you make me happy, as long as you give me good gifts, as long as you do what I want you to do, as long as you do this or as long as you do that, man, God would have none of that. The God who loved us, who, who developed in his mind the plan of salvation that would be free to the world, that same God chose to demonstrate his love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Man, the greatest love we will ever know is found right here in God's grace and in God's love. And the motive, I love that, the impetus, the enthusiasm behind it, that God says, hey, I demonstrated my love while you were still a sinner. Now notice, where is that world demonstrated to? For God so loved the world. How many of you think that's a pretty simple thought? For God so loved the world. You know, for, for century upon century, this was easy in the church. The world meant the world. And then theolo theologians started tackling this word world. Well, does God love the whole world or the elect world? Or is atonement limited or unlimited? How many of you are familiar with that debate? Hey, you know, for century upon century, the world meant the world. The Apostle Paul said, I'm going to preach the gospel to the Jew and the Gentile. He didn't say, I'm going to preach it to the elect Jew and the elect Gentile. He said, I'm going to preach the gospel to the whole world. World mean world. When you think about what God said, for God so loved the world. How do we define world? World. That's how you define it. For centuries, for centuries, we thought the gospel was to be preached to the world because God loved the entire world. And then all of a sudden theologians started debating and we went through the Reformation and all of a sudden the dialogue and one of the things that we'll never do in this church, we, we don't sit in this church and, and debate Calvinism. We have Calvinists in the church. We have non-Calvinists in the church. We have Calvinists on staff. We have non-Calvinists on staff. We, we're just not going to enter into that debate because it's a fruitless argument. Because the point is we know that our call is to be obedient to preach the gospel to who? The world, right? Now, I, I will tell you, a lot of people say, well, Augustine believed in limited atonement. Go read Augustine. He didn't believe in limited atonement. Some people will say, just go read him, be honest. He, he didn't believe in limited atonement. He preached, preached the gospel to the whole world. A lot of people will say, hey, you know, uh, John Calvin's the first one that began to talk about limited atonement. First of all, no, he didn't. It was an 8th eight, century French theologian that first talked about limited atonement, that God sent his son to die for the elect world. Let me tell you what happened to that guy. He was condemned as a heretic by three separate church councils. You say, well, didn't John Calvin preach it? No. I'll tell you, just go read John Calvin, be honest. He didn't believe in limited atonement as it's talked about today. He didn't. He understood love meant 
love. And so as we think about this, guys, for God so loved the world. And there's no hidden thought. There's no hidden meaning there. It is simple. It's not opaque. That God loved the world so much that He did what? Notice, He moved on. He, he gave. He gave what? He gave His one and only Son. Man, if we think about the greatest love mankind will ever know being God's love, then as we think about He gave, it's the greatest gift. Man, y'all had some pretty cool gifts, uh, uh, but I, I also think it's kind of telling for all of us that when we think about gifts, that everybody didn't immediately raise their hand and have an answer. Why? Because at the end of the day, most gifts we give are just gifts, and most gifts we receive are just gifts. Very few will linger and last. Very few will, will come and stay. Most of them come and go, and we know it. All of us who have ever been parents, here's what we know, right? Whether your parents or grandparents, you're going to give your kid the greatest gift in the world today, on this Christmas or whenever it is, and you know it's not going to last. How many of you know that? It's not going to last. It may not even last through the week. And it's going to be gone. And they're going to desire a different gift. And I love this idea that this is, in fact, not only the greatest love, God's love for you and me, that was demonstrated to all a man can. I'll go beyond that. This is the greatest gift. He gave His one and only Son. What do we talk about Sunday with, with, with the story of Abraham offering up Isaac? God showed up to Abraham, said, Abraham. And Abraham said, here I am, here I am. He says, Abraham, I want you to take your son, Genesis 22, 1 and 2. I want you to take your son, your one and only son. I want you to go to a mountain I'm going to show you. And I want you to sacrifice him there. Man, as we think about, that was Abraham seeing a picture of Christ's day. In John 8, Jesus was talking to the religious leaders of his day, and he said, hey, he says, Abraham saw my day, and he rejoiced in it. What's he saying? Abraham went up, they're ready to sacrifice Isaac. The angel said, hold on. He looked and saw a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. What did Abraham see? that God was going to provide another sacrifice, another gift, another son. Man, for, so, for God so loved the world. Now we can debate on the world, but here's what we ultimately know, God loved you. Theologians can talk, well, what does world mean? What does it not mean? Here's what we do know it means, is that God loved you. God loved you. And God loved me. Hey, there are times, I don't, I don't know about you, y'all might think I'm way more spiritual than I am, but I doubt it. There are times I don't like some people, much less love them. Am I the only guy in the room? Yeah. But let me ask you a question. I also know at times, because I'm with this dude all the time, 
that I can be pretty unlovable. How many of you understand that? I know some of you guys. It shocks me anybody loves y'all. Right? I mean, let's be honest, right? Aren't there times that you, you think, man, I have a lot of people fooled. Am I the only guy that ever thinks that? Yeah, we all better, right? I I'm just mainly want to make sure that Gina never figures it out that I'm unlovable. That's, that's the way I operate with her, man. I cannot believe that she hasn't figured it out yet. But I love this idea. There's no condition there. For God so loved the world that he gave. Regardless of how good I was, regardless of how lovable I was, he gave his one and only son. I love what Romans chapter 8, verse 32 says. It says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give all things? Isn't that an incredible thought? Man, when we think about He gave His only Son, man, He who did not spare His one and only Son. God looked down, said, I have one Son. I have one shot. I'm going to hit the bullseye. And I'm going to sacrifice my Son. Hey, newsflash. God doesn't need anything. How many of us understand that? Do you realize that? God, hey, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but God doesn't need you. Do you understand that? You know, God was able to speak the world into existence without your help. How many of us understand that? God was able to create Adam and Eve without your help. God was able to create perfection in the garden without your help. God was able to overcome sin without your help. God doesn't need us. So what does God get out of it? It's just part of His nature. Certainly He wanted to create free beings that would freely receive His Son, Jesus Christ, as Savior and Lord. They would ultimately come back and freely worship Him. But God doesn't need us. We don't complete God in any part. We don't make God better in any place. God gets nothing out of it. You know, there, there are times in our lives when we think of, our, uh, uh, of love as always conditional. I don't know about you, but I've looked around. A lot of the giving that I see from people is conditional. How many of us understand that? How many of you remember back in 2010 when Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and a number of other people entered into what was called the giving pledge? How many of you remember the Giving Pledge? Back in 2010, it, it, was, it was a bunch of billionaires getting together who, who said, hey, we're going to make a, a commitment. By the way, it was not a legal, legal contract. It was not a binding contract. It was just a verbal assessment that we're going to give away half of our assets by the time we die. Half was the number. Some of them have said 100%. Do you know what's happened since then? Since 2010, uh, Bill Gates' net worth has gone up about four times. Warren Buffett's net worth has gone up three times. And they've created a bunch of charities to avoid paying taxes. How many of you understand? Now, Pastor, you saying that the giving pledge wasn't a good thing? No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying if you're going to give away half your money, you better stop letting your net worth go up. 
Because what has happened out of that in those charities, and now they're starting investment funds, they're investing in new and renewable energy. And because of all the popularity, guess who gives them contracts? You and me through the government. If one of those billionaire funds, the next gen energy fund, they get government money. And so as you and I think about where we are, man, we are surrounded in a world where people give to get. Man, when we think about God's gift, He gave to give. God doesn't need anything back. You want to know, does God love you? Absolutely. God offered His Son, Jesus Christ, to the world with no strings attached. God didn't do it because He needed you and me. God did it because He wants you and me to accept His Son, to praise Him freely, to serve Him, to give back to Him, to generate. Does that make sense? God didn't do this. It was not some sort of exchange where God says, hey, I'm going to give you a little here and you give me a little there. The greatest gift that was ever given was the gift of God's own Son, and God doesn't want anything or need anything in return. God desires it. God wants it. But He's not going to force us. Man, think about that. For God so loved that the greatest giver, God, gave the greatest gift, His one and only Son. But look at this. That whoever. That whoever. Regardless of where we grew up. Regardless of how likable we are or unlikable we are, regardless of how sinful we are or how saintly we are, regardless of whether we grew up in church or outside of church, regardless of whether we've been faithful in church or not faithful in church, the whole key to God's love is whoever. Jesus was given for the sins of the world that whoever. You say, Pastor, who's eliminated in whoever? Nobody. Whoever means whoever. The world means the world. See, our call is to simply share the message and the good news of Jesus Christ. Because God, who needs nothing, chose willingly to send His Son while we were still sinners to provide a way and an opportunity that simply by faith we could accept His one and only Son, whoever. I love what Isaiah said in Isaiah 53. Here's what he said. We'll put it up on the screen. It says, Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. This is the whoever. Yet we consider him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. 
He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him. And by His wounds we are healed. Look at verse 6. You, you want to debate the world, an un, uh, uh, meaning limited world or an unlimited world? You want to debate atonement being limited or unlimited? You go read Calvin's commentary on Isaiah 53 and you will see that he didn't buy into limited atonement. And he did it based on the word all in Isaiah 53 verse 6. Notice what it says. He says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Now let me just stop you right there. How many of you know, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? Guess what that word all means? It means we've all fallen short. We've all sinned, each and every one of us. But notice then the response. We all like sheep have gone astray, not select, not a limited few of us, not some of us, not a chosen few of us. All of us have gone away, each into our own way. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us. What's that last word? So if all have gone astray, and that's not a select few, and all iniquity has been laid upon him, man, this is what he's saying. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you grew up. God's grace and God's favor and God's love and God's forgiveness is towards you and for you. Man, before you were ever born, God chose to lay your sin and my sin on His Son at the cross. Man, that's the beauty of John 3.16. For God so loved, insert your name. Insert my name. Insert the name of the dude that you don't like. Insert the, dude, the name of the lady you don't like. Insert the name of somebody that you uh, read about in the news. Insert any Hollywood movie star we dish on all the time. Insert their names. Ultimately, Jesus paid for their sins if they come by faith. Did we understand that? For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever, anyone, believes in Him. Man, we think about the greatest love and the greatest opportunity and the greatest person to have faith in Jesus Christ. Now as we think about it, man, what an opportunity. Whoever believes in Him. If you just go to the context just right before... Um, Verse 16, look at verse 13. Jesus is talking uh, to Nicodemus in a spiritual conversation there with a the guy that asked some questions by night. And Jesus said this, hey Nick, hey Nick, he says, No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man, who's Jesus talking about himself. He said, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son must be lifted up that everyone, everybody say everyone, Everyone who believes may have eternal life. So I, I love this. Jesus says, no one has gone into heaven except for the Son of Man who came down from heaven. And he goes, just as Moses lifted up the servant, so will Jesus be lifted up. Now what's Jesus talking about? He's talking about when I go to the cross, what I do on the cross, I am paying the price 
for the iniquity of all the world. Everybody. And then he says, listen, if I be lifted up, I will draw anyone to myself and anyone who is willing to receive and believe. What Jesus Christ did for them on the cross may, in fact, have salvation. How many of you know the story that Jesus is talking about? He's referencing from Numbers chapter 21. We'll put it up on the screen. If you haven't seen this story lately or read, it, read this story lately, Jesus is referencing a story that they knew well. And it goes back to Numbers. And the children of Israel, they are traveling. And I don't know if you knew this about the children of Israel. Even though they were God's chosen people, they grumbled a lot. How many of you understand that? They were the original Baptist. Do y'all understand that? They, they were the original grumblers. They were original. And by the way, where are the donuts? Have y'all noticed that? Uh, but anyway, y'all got to stay with my mind every once in a while. I'm still pretty bitter over that. Uh, but, hey, we were just like the children of Israel, right? That's the point, is we grumble, we gripe, we, we do this. I mean, we come to church and, and we complain about everything. We roll through uh, QT or racetrack and we complain about this and we do that. You know, we, we compl we're complaining people. We're just like the children of Israel. Praise God that God loved them because that gives me kind assurance that He can love me too, right? Because I really don't think I grumble as much as they do. I don't. I, don't. I might be close from time to time, but I don't think I grumble as much as they do. But, but let's read the story. When Jesus references Moses lifting up the servant, notice, let's go back. I want you to hear it if you haven't heard it lately. It says, They traveled, this is the children of Israel, says they traveled, traveled from Mount Hor along the route uh, to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient. Imagine that. The children of God impatient. You ever, had, you ever been involved in a life group or somebody else that's impatient? Uh, you ever sit there in one of my sermons and been impatient? You lie about other things too, I will tell you. You lie about other things. And it says, they grew impatient while they were going along the way. Uh, and they spoke against, they grumbled against God and against Moses and said, why have you brought us out of Egypt uh, to die here in the wilderness? Man, I will tell you, if I would have been Moses, I, I would have said about that time, that is a great question. Why did I bring you out here, right? How many of you know, I mean, you can only imagine Moses going, that is a great question. And had God not told me to do this, we would not have done this whole thing. You could have died uh, in Egypt. But uh, see, good news is God didn't call me. And so notice what it says. Why have you brought us out here? There is no bread. There is no water. Uh, and we detest this miserable food. That's where they separated from the Baptists. Baptists have never seen a food that they don't like. All right? But they were bitter over no water. They were bitter over the fact they were in the desert. They were bitter, bitter, bitter. And so notice what happened. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes. How many of you like, anybody in here own a snake? Anybody in here own a snake? Be honest. Do you own a snake? Your son did. He died of a snake bite. Oh, he didn't. Okay, good. So, all right. You know, here, I've never understood people who own snakes. I mean, did not, did not they read the Garden of Eden account and it hadn't gotten better, right? I, I don't understand people who own snakes, but they do. They have fascination with snakes. When I first surrendered the ministry, I'll tell you a story. When I first surrendered the ministry, 
uh, I, I stayed. Uh, my first uh, roommate was a guy named Kenny Vines. You can ac actually look him up. He's a missionary in Africa right now. Kenny was a unique guy. And, and, but one of the things that Kenny did is uh, he liked snakes. He collected snakes. He also had these amazing African toad frogs. Anybody ever seen an African toad frog eat? It's pretty impressive, all right? It's pretty impressive, but I won't go into this. But this, so we're moving through, we're almost halfway through the end of my second semester. And we've got these snakes. There apparently was a rule in our apartment complex, which was not a nice apartment complex, that, um, that if, if, you, if you are going to have snakes, you're going to be evicted that day. They don't want because they don't want them to get up in the attic and stuff like that. Well, the neighbor's uh, air conditioning went out, so they ended up coming into our apartment. They see his snakes. I come home from school. Uh, I went to seminary that day. Then I went out and worked, and I drive home, and all of our stuff is in the parking lot. I mean, they have immediate eviction, and we're trying to figure it out. But I never understood the snake thing. He was like, here, pet my snake. I said, no, I'm not. As a matter of fact, I sat in my room. I stuffed a towel under my door, and I slept at the pistol next to my... You know, if that snake rolls in my room, it is a dead snake, all right? So I don't understand people that like snakes, but I'm okay with them uh, if you want to keep them in your house. It said, the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people. And many of the Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. And Moses said, You are right. We have sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. And my, my guess is Moses said, Did you say me? Did you say me? Uh, he says, Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake, put it up on a pole, and anyone who is bitter... The, who is bitten, then can look at it and will live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. And then when anyone, everybody say anyone, anyone who uh, looked upon it, who had been bitten by a snake and looked upon the bronze snake, lived. Anyone, right? Now, if you choose not to look at the snake, you're going to die. But anyone who chooses to look will ultimately live. Man, that's back to what Jesus is saying. The immediate verses prior to John 3.16, Jesus is saying, here's an example. We've all been bitten by a venomous snake called sin. We are all going to die. There's only one answer. Look at Christ on the cross. You say, Pastor, who can look at Christ on the cross? Anyone. You go look at that Hebrew word, anyone, guess what it translates as? Anyone. All of them. Those who chose not to, died. Those who chose to look, lived. Man, child of God, men... Man, there are times today, you might feel bitten today. You might have been bitten yesterday. It might have been a week ago. It might have been three weeks ago that that secret sin, that, that long addiction that you'd been battled with slipped back into your life. Can I tell you this? Forgiveness is found when we look to the cross of Jesus Christ. Why? Because God chose the iniquity of us all to be laid on His Son. That all you and I have to do is look. What did Jesus say? 
that anyone who believes in Him, now notice this, look at the greatest life, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Boys, we think about that verse. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish, die but would have everlasting life. Child of God, uh, we're all going to die physically. I don't know when your day is, and I don't know when my day is, but how many of you know there is a day coming? The statistics are staggering. About one in one guy in this room is going to die. How many of you understand that? However, when God created us in His image, He created the physical and the spiritual. The spiritual you will spend eternity somewhere with God or apart from God. Outside of God's presence in hell or with God and His saints for all of eternity. That's the parish that is being talked about. And as we think through this, all we have to do is believe to have eternal life. So the question, guys, for you and me is, have you? That's a great verse. John 3.16 is the greatest verse. But if you don't look to Jesus... You hadn't trusted Him, it doesn't mean anything to you. Let's pray. Father God, thank You so much for this day. God, thank You for reminding us in this one verse that You love us, that salvation is about You, it's not about me. It's about Your grace, it's not about my goodness. It's about me simply looking to Christ and believing and receiving. God, let us leave here today with the calm assurance that by faith we have trusted your Son, Jesus Christ, as Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. and amen. God bless y'all. Y'all have a great day. Don't forget John 3.16. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Men's Bible Study. For more information about Cottonwood Creek Church, visit cottonwoodcreek.org. That's cottonwoodcreek.org.